0: Have you ever felt like an outsider? Or maybe it's better if I ask, when was the last time you felt like an outsider? And maybe it was a teenager and it was Monday morning and you discovered that all your friends except you had been invited to a beach barbecue on Sunday and you felt like an outsider. And maybe you tried with your friends to get into the school basketball team And only you were cut out and you spent the season on the sidelines and you and you felt like an outsider. Uh, Sadly, most of us don't have to go back to our school days to remember being on the outside. Think of those who suffer illnesses that restrict what they can do while other people get on with their lives. Or a couple who can't have a family but watch all their friends celebrate as their children reach milestones. I think of a solo mum who, who faithfully attends church but all the other families are, are, are dual parent families and she's the only solo mum. I can go on, I think of a Pacific Islander in Auckland trying to access medical treatment where no one looks like them or speaks their language and so they... They feel like an outsider or a refugee family and their eight-year-old daughter starts school in New Zealand for the very first time. She feels like an outsider. And even a missionary who's been faithful on the field for 30 years and comes back home to New Zealand and just has no idea and feels like an outsider. Even today there'll be some here that feel exactly like this. Yet, one of the most wonderful treasures of the gospel is that Jesus has a preference for the outsiders. He spent time with outsiders. He talked, he laughed with them, he had meals with them. So much so that his enemies used this practice to mock him and to undermine his ministry. Why? Because he was spending so much time with the outsiders and not with the right people, the influences of the day. And this was not by chance, Jesus was intentional, compassionate, empowering to those that felt they were on the outside, just as he is with us today. So as we come to the Gospel of John, let's open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this passage that we're about to unfold. May your Holy Spirit give us assurance of your great love for us, especially for those of us who feel like outsiders. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now this week we're taking a break from our Exodus series. We'll put this up next week so that we can focus on our missionary families, one of our missionary families, the Hansons. And to do this we'll be looking at Jesus and the outsider, and in particular the, the Samaritan woman by a well, and how this connects with their ministry. Uh, we'll see three things today. So the first thing we're looking at today is we'll see why she was an outsider, why was the Samaritan woman so much on the outside and then we're going to look at how Jesus interacted with this outsider and then finally we're going to look at the implications for us and the Hansons and how we interact with outsiders. And so we start our passage in John chapter 4 verse 3 and we're going to explore why the Samaritan woman was so far outside normal society we pick this up in John 4 from verse 3. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. So it was the heat of the day. Now as Jesus sends disciples into the town to buy food, some geography may help here. In Jesus' day, The Jews lived in two regions. They lived in Judea in the south, where Jerusalem was, but also around the the Lake of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, in the the province of Galilee. Unfortunately, separating these two regions was was Samaria. So every time that Jesus, or any Jew for that matter, wanted to travel before Uh, the Jewish region in the north, and Jerusalem in particular where the temple worship was, they had to pass through Samaria, which would have been fine, except they disliked each other intensely. They weren't on friendly terms. There's a passage in Luke which helps to describe or, or open up how unfriendly the Samaritans and the Jews were. Luke chapter 9, verse 52. And Jesus sent messages on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. And see here we catch a bit of the hostility between the Jews and the Samaritans. In those days, a village refusing to offer hospitality was a terrible insult. Culturally, it was a real slap in the face, and of course we also see the disciples design for some action. Hey, Jesus, pull down some fire. This will be entertaining. They deserve it, and of course Jesus rebuked them. But you see that they dislike each other. So what's behind all this mistrust and animosity? Well, a very, um, a very brief history lesson. Very brief, I promise you. About a thousand years before Jesus's day, King David united the 12 tribes of Israel. Before that, there was a loose coalition. And you'll see how loose that is if you read the book of Judges. But King David was able to unite all the 12 tribes under one nation. And this continued under his son Solomon. But when it came to his grandson Rehoboam, there was a big problem. There was a a tension between them. And what happened is the 10 northern tribes, they split away under a rebel king, And the two southern tribes of Judah and Benjamin, they stayed loyal to David's grandson, Jeroboam. But there was a problem for the new rebel king, Jeroboam. The problem was the temple was in the south. So all the Jews in the ten tribes would then travel across the border to worship. And the rebel king knew that this couldn't continue because it would undermine his new authority. And eventually people would say, why are we bothering doing this? Let's get back together as a nation. So, you'll never guess what he did. Not in a million years will you guess what the rebel king did. He made two golden calves. And then he said to the people in the north, Look, these are the gods that brought you out of Egypt. Worship these instead. Don't go down to the temple. Stay here in the northern kingdom and worship these golden calves. Now, where? Have we seen golden calves recently? Of course, in our series in Exodus, we know exactly the whole story behind the golden calf and the trouble it caused Aaron and the people of Israel. And here they come again, those idols. They're very difficult to put away. And this started about 300 years of angst between the northern and the southern kingdom. 300 years And God did not abandon the Northern Kingdom. Even though the Northern Kingdom abandoned God for the golden calves and other gods, our Heavenly Father, Yahweh, he sent prophets. The two most famous prophets in the Old Testament are Elijah and Elijah and they went to the Northern Kingdom to call them back to God. And for 300 years God sent prophet after prophet, but they rebelled, they were stiff-necked, became more and more wicked until they were even sacrificing babies in fire to their God. And after about 300 years God sent the Assyrian nation to conquer, destroy and disperse the ten tribes. And the ten tribes have been lost ever since. Now the Assyrians... Uh, They wanted taxes from this land so they brought in non-Jewish folk who married with the few Jewish folk that were left and their capital was Samaria. And so from the Jews in the south that basically remained loyal during this time when they looked at the Samaritans in the north they saw idol worshipping half-breeds and they detested them. And they remembered the war and they remembered that their great-great-grandfather had been killed by the Sumerians and those feuds did not die. And so in Jesus' day there was serious animosity between the Jewish folk who felt the remains faithful and to the Sumerians who were worshipping other gods. And so this is the background between the two. The trouble is that any Jewish person from the north who wanted to worship God in Jerusalem had to travel through that border, and there was often problems. So Jesus, he'd been in the temple. He and his disciples are travelling back north to Capernaum where they'd based their ministry, and on the way they stop for a drink of water and food. Jesus has sent the disciples off. (coughs) He probably said, now this time we won't be calling fire on anyone. (laughs) You know, if they won't give us food, be polite. But anyway, as Jesus is waiting, we pick up the story in verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews did not associate with the Samaritans. Now we know the background behind the woman's words. She's saying, why are you a Jew speaking to me? For I'm both a Samaritan and you don't like Samaritans, you Jewish folk, and I'm also a woman. Why are you speaking to me, an outsider? And this brings us to the conversation and how Jesus speaks with this outsider. And as he does, we begin to realise much more about this woman. It gets more interesting for as Jesus talks with her, we soon realise that she's more of an outsider than we first thought. In all likelihood, the Samaritan woman is an outsider among her own people. How so? Well, listen to the conversation as it progresses in verse 16. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Now even in our permissive culture, it raises an eyebrow when we meet someone who's been married five times and is in a de facto relationship. Now in any traditional culture today and back then, that would be scandalous. Absolutely scandalous scandalous. And it might also explain why she is collecting water alone in the heat of the day. You see, what would have happened that morning is that the ladies would have got together with their water jars and they would have got together in the cool of the morning and they would have come out and they would have chatted and caught up on all the news of the village and they together would have drawn water and they would have gone back. But this woman comes alone in the heat of the day. Why? Because she is an outsider among her own people. She is on the outside because of her lifestyle. This lady is an outsider among outsiders. But the wonder of the gospel is that Jesus spoke with her. He asked her for a drink. He listened to her questions and did not dismiss her questions, but took them seriously and engaged with her questions. And then he shared the good news with this outsider of the outsiders. And what was the good news that he shared? Well, he said to her in the heat of the day, when they were both very thirsty, he said he could give her living water that would quench the deepest of her thirsts. And then he said he himself was that living water. And then listen to the climax of their conversation. Listen to the climax, verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Isn't that astounding? Here's Jesus spending time with an outsider among outsider. Gently, respectfully, compassionately, he revealed himself to someone who least deserved it. You see, in the Gospel of John, who is the first person that Jesus declares himself to be the Christ? Is it John the Baptist? Is it, is it his disciples? Was it just in the temple a day or two before when he had um, spoken in the temple? Did did the temple goers who worship God, did he declare to him that he was the Christ? No, in the Gospel of John, the first person he declares that he is the Christ is to an outsider among outsiders. You see, Jesus' priority is for these outsiders. Now, it's not that he didn't engage with the people that were in You know, the in people, the people that were in with the religious people, the people that were in with political, the rich people. It's not that he didn't engage with those people. It's just that he had a priority for the outsiders. And the disciples, they had not um, been wasting their time at all. They had been busy and they come back, verse 27. Just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked him, what do you want or what are you talking? Why are you talking with her? So the disciples, they are very surprised that a rabbi like Jesus, a man, was talking to a woman, but especially a Samaritan woman. Meanwhile, the woman decides it's time to go. Oblivious to the looks of mistrust and the sneers from the disciples, we read this in verse 28. Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come. See a woman who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. The outsider of all the outsiders goes to other outsiders and invites them to Jesus. That's a pretty good way of doing evangelism, isn't it? In fact, this brings us to the implications for us and for others. What are the implications for the Hansons and for us? You see, as Christians, we are outsiders. And it's we who take the gospel to other outsiders. It has been said that Christians are beggars who tell other beggars where to get bread. It's good, isn't it? Christians are beggars who tell other beggars where to get bread, the bread of life. Or you could put it, uh, Christians are those lost in the desert and thirsty who have found water, living water, and we tell other travellers where they can quench their thirst. The Apostle Paul puts it so well in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many of you were noble birth. That's Paul's way of saying you were outsiders. (laughs) And then back into the Corinthians reason. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised and the things that are not he chose you and I. And why does God do this? Why does God choose the outsiders? as well? So that none of us can boast. <laughs> because none of us can say, well, God chose me because I am good enough, because I am good looking enough, I am rich enough, I have uh, the right friends and connections, I was born into the right family. None of us can say that God chose us for those reasons. God chose us because we were outsiders. And he welcomed us in. And this is exactly where Christina and Alistair find themselves now in their ministry. And it's all really a rather bit of a surprise. Because two years ago when they left, October, uh, 2019, they were going to, to a sports ministry to work with children and baseball and to run some Bible studies and connect with the families. And that was great. But, but their ministry changed. And they moved to Tata, and now their focus is working with the Roma people, the gypsy people of Hungary. And of course, they are very much like the Samaritans in many respects. The rest of Hungary shun them when they can. The rest of Hungary mistrusts the Roma people. If there's any problems in the neighbourhood, they always think it must have been those gypsies that caused that problem. The Roma people are disadvantaged. They struggle to access uh, social services and education and medical help. Partly because they are disadvantaged, but partly they mistrust the Hungarians just as much as the Hungarians mistrust them. And there are a number of similarities between the Samaritans and the Roma people because when it comes to outsiders, the angst between the Hungarian people and the Roma people goes back generations Hundreds of years of animosity and mistrust and you don't change that overnight. And yet OM has a fledgling ministry with the Roma people in Tata that Alistair and Christina have been involved with and are doing so well. So here's some of the Roma children. We'll see this some more later on. And here's Alistair and the team working. They're uh, they're running, I'm not sure if this is an after-school program or if this is one of their camps that they run with the Roma children, with the idea of having games and crafts and, and sharing the gospel. They teach them gospel songs and, and building relationships with them. So there's Christina and Lily with the, at, at the craft helping these people. But their focus is with the disadvantaged, with the, the equivalent of the Samaritans in the Old Testament are the Roma or the gypsy people in Hungary. And this is the work God has led them to. To offer to the outsiders of Hungary the same living water that Jesus offered the Samaritan woman. And they do this not on their own, not by themselves. They do this as missionaries that we have sent. They are working with the Roma people on our behalf. We can't all climb into a chartered flight and fly over to Hungary, even before COVID, <laughs> you know, and then get stuck in and help. I mean, it's just not practical, is it? So whether it be Hungary or Zambia or Thailand, our missionaries are our hands and feet of this local congregation scattered around the world, serving God, sharing Jesus, saying, this is the living water that we found. Come and drink. Find salvation at the foot of the cross. And we rejoice. We rejoice with the Hanson family because, you know, for a missionary couple that's only been on the field two years, often, you know, learning the language and the culture, you're really just finding your feet when you come back on your first furlough, and you go back knowing what you're going to do. But uh, the Hansons they found their feet, uh, you know, in that sec- in this second year that they've been, and uh, they're working with a local team, and the local team loves having them, and is really keen that they continue there. However, there's a- all number of challenges which we'll be talking about later in the service which they have to face that we've become aware of over the last couple of months and, 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 and practically all of it's COVID complications. But anyway, Jesus' priority was with the outsiders which is great because I don't think any of us would be here if, if Jesus didn't have that priority with us, the outsiders. And one more thing, one more thing to finish. Did you notice Jesus' final words to the Samaritan woman? Uh, Let me read them again in John chapter 4, verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Jesus is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Jesus' last words are, I am he. Now where in the Bible recently have we heard the words, I am. I am who I am. I am He. So where have we heard it before? Exodus and the burning bush, where God revealed Himself from the burning bush saying, I am who I am. And now hundreds of years later, what is Jesus declaring to this woman? I am the Christ. I am he. Isn't this amazing that this woman is having a burning bush experience, just like Moses. She doesn't know it, but she's on holy ground before the Christ, the son of the living God. And so on this hot burning sun down, dusty well in the middle of nowhere, an outsider among outsiders. To this woman, Jesus declares herself to be the great I am. And Jesus didn't do that to Herod, who was the king of Palestine at that time. He didn't do it to the high priest. He didn't do it in the temple. He didn't even do it on the Sermon of the Mount. He did it to an outsider of outsiders who now went and told everyone else, come and meet the Messiah. And not too long after this encounter with the woman at the well on another hot and dusty day, under a blazing sun, but this time not just one, there were crowds and they were mocking and the high priests were jeering and Jesus became the ultimate outsider as he hung on that old wooden cross. And even Jesus's friends turned their back on him and he was alone and he breathed his last and cried it is finished but we know the story and the story thrills our hearts for three days later three days later at the break of dawn a cheer rose up in heaven the angels shouted and heaven clapped its hands and God rose from his throne declaring welcome home son Welcome home. And so too we delight in the great I am, the Christ who became the ultimate outsider so we who were locked outside can now be brought inside so that we too can be embraced by our heavenly Father and hear these words from his mouth. Welcome home, daughter. Welcome home, son. Welcome. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful (laughs) that you love the outsiders. (laughs) And we think of that woman who was a nobody of nobodies, an outsider of outsiders, but to that person Jesus said, I am the Christ. I am the I am. And we thank you, Lord, that in your own way, by your spirit, you have also said that to us. So remove that veil from our hearts so that we can see Jesus more clearly, Lord, Give us a desire that will not be satisfied, a thirst that will not be quenched until we know more of Jesus in our lives. And Heavenly Father, help us to then go and share that Jesus, that quenching of the great thirst with other outsiders. We pray for Christina, we pray for Alistair, we pray for the family, Lord, and what they're doing over there. And thank you that you've given the heart too for the outsiders and pray that you will bless their ministry, release the resources that they need, Lord, so that they may serve you on our behalf. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.